Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning, Bethany family. Welcome to worship. What a wonderful worship we've had thus far. Pray with me now as we begin the sermon for this morning. But before I pray, I want to express gratitude to the entire staff and leadership of the church for all the things they're doing to keep us all connected. A special thanks to Chris Logan, our worship pastor, for all of the production that he's doing to make it possible for us to have meetings, to do worship, to hear the various people on our worship teams as they help us sing songs and as we hear the scripture read and prayers prayed. Chris, thank you. It's been a wonderful thing that you've made possible for us during these days. Pray with me. Holy Father, speak. Help us to hear. May we listen to your words. And I pray that the words you've given to me will be your words. And if not, help these people to hear what you want them to hear. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we left the Israelites on the verge of entering the land of Canaan. Out of fear of the people living there, they choose to not enter it. Yet they do not trust God for them. As much as God has provided in the wilderness, they do not trust God to provide for them to enter the land. So, God decides to let them have their way. In fact, God decides that the entire generation of people 20 years and older will not enter the land of Canaan at all. That generation will die in the wilderness. But their children, those under 20, will enter the land, but in 40 years. Listen to what happens next. Good morning. I'm reading scripture this morning from Numbers chapter 14, verses 36 through 45. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading the bad report about it. These men, who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land, were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, survived. When Moses reported this to all of the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up to the land that the Lord has promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. The Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, by their presumption, they went up toward the highest point of the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the the Amalekites and the Canaanites, who lived in that country, came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. Thank you, Diane. 
It is so ironic. These people have been complaining and grumbling now for more than two and a half years, and God provides for them with abundance, water, manna, quail. They do not trust God to provide for them in the land of promise, so they will not enter it. God says to them, enough, have it your way. But then instead of repenting, they simply change their minds and decide to go into the land without the Lord. What are they thinking? They will not go with the Lord into Canaan, and now they go into Canaan without the Lord? What is wrong with them? Seriously, what is wrong with them? Going with the Lord can be challenging. It can even be dangerous. I was 10 years old and sitting at the dinner table with my mom and dad and two younger sisters, and my mom began to cry. This was extremely uncomfortable for all of us, and we wondered what was wrong. She could not say she was so distraught. So my dad began to speak, telling us that some missionaries had been killed in the jungles of Ecuador by a group of Harani warriors known as the Alka Indians. Five men, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Uderian. They had followed God's lead in their lives to bring the gospel of Jesus to this remote tribe of people. Sometimes it is dangerous to follow God. A few years later, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, and her daughter followed the call of God by walking in Jim's footsteps to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Hurani people. She led many of them to faith in Jesus, including a few that had killed her husband and his companions. Her story is told in the book, The Savage, My Kinsman. There are times that life is dangerous when following God. But to tell God you will not follow him and then proceed to go where God wanted but now without him, that's just crazy. And the result was disastrous. Listen again to Numbers 14.45. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. Hormah. Probably not a town you've visited. It's eight miles east of Beersheba in the mountainous wilderness of Zin. I've been there. It's 30 miles south of Jerusalem. It's not a pretty place. It's a very difficult place. And the next 40 years is contained in the last 22 chapters of the book of Numbers. And the storyline is like what we have already discovered. The people still grumble and complain God continues to provide as he seeks to show them that he is worthy of their trust, and there is the word that reveals what God wants. God wants trust. Okay. God wants us to love him. The great commandment condensed and clarified by Jesus is clear. What God wants is for us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And while love encompasses all, there is one aspect of love that is often overlooked. Trust. In his book, Jeff Mannion writes, 
The land between was intended as the people's training ground, their boot camp. The desert was to serve the purpose of transforming the people of slavery into the people of God. God was asking, Will you trust me when you have limited water? Will you trust me when food is in short supply? Will you trust me when you grow tired of the food I am providing? Will you trust me? Unfortunately, the people cracked repeatedly. End of quote. Then Jeff goes on to write, Perhaps if we can grasp the purpose of our land between, we can cooperate with that purpose rather than resisting it. The purpose is trust. The purpose is transformation. End of quote. In a nutshell, what God is truly interested in is our growth. Our growth in love for him and for our neighbors, which will help us to become good news people. And our growth in trust of him and his ways for living our lives, which will help us become fully devoted followers. This past Wednesday in our Daily Bread devotion, Carolyn and I shared, it was based on Hebrews 1.9, which reads, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Elisa Morgan, the writer of the devotional, spoke about the challenge faced by an actor, Bruce Marchanio, to play the role of Jesus in the 1993 movie entitled Matthew. I quote, Knowing that millions of viewers would draw conclusions about Jesus based on his work, the weight of getting Christ right felt overwhelming. He fell on his knees in prayer and begged Jesus for, well, for Jesus, end of quote. Jesus lived a joyful life among us, and he raised the level of joy in the lives of hundreds of people. And even as Jesus faced the most daunting of tasks the Father gave him, he did so with joy. Listen again to the verse from Hebrews. For the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12.2 Elisa continued by writing, Bruce offered a uniquely joy-filled portrayal of his Savior. As a result, he became known as the Smiling Jesus. Elisa concluded with a question in the devotional, How can you represent him as you show his heart to the world? Uh, I must admit, I am overjoyed by what I've heard about what many of you are doing to represent Jesus in these difficult days praying for family, friends, acquaintances, and strangers, making meals and delivering them, making masks for other people, sending cookies and bars to people, making thank you signs and placing them in your yards, teaching your children at home, sending letters, cards, texts, emails to people you know and some that you don't, calling, FaceTiming, Zooming with others. And all of you who contributed to our food drive for the Berlin Food Pantry last weekend, and the list goes on. For some, 
This loving and caring behavior may be their life pattern. It has intensified in these days. They have grown. For others, this loving and caring behavior may be relatively new. They, too, have grown. It is God's will that we grow, that we grow in following Jesus, that we grow in our trust in God, that we grow in our love for God and people, that we grow in our maturity of faith, and that we grow in our caring for others. Prophet Micah says it so well. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8 I find this verse to be helpful and practical personally. That is, for me. If I act more respectfully, more appropriately, and more justly, I am growing in God's will. If I love to be more forgiving, more understanding, and more merciful, I am growing in God's will. If I walk more frequently with God in greater humility, I am growing in God's will. Additionally, the Apostle Paul captures what growth looks like in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. I find these verses to be helpful and practical for the church body, that is, for all of us each of us growing together as we connect with one another, each of us growing together as we each do our part with one another, each of us growing together as we all become more like Jesus the Christ. Before I end this sermon and this preaching series, I want to talk with you a bit about growth. So often in the evangelical church, the use of the word growth tends to be quantitative. That is, numerical growth. The mission, of course, given by Jesus to the church is to make disciples. The church of Jesus Christ is to grow. That is, it is to win more people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. But for this sermon and this series, I use the word growth qualitatively. Personal growth. Character growth. Christ-likeness growth. I believe Jeff Mannion in The Land Between captures well the categories of growth I'm talking about. The first he calls incremental growth. Listen to what he writes. Quote, by incremental growth, I'm referring to slow, steady movement in the right direction. This kind of gradual growth often occurs as a result of a consistent spiritual diet accompanied by a responsive heart. End of quote. Then he continues, quote, Incremental growth often occurs when we are experiencing a relatively uninterrupted life. We have the sense that life is cruising along and all systems are go. End of quote. I'm drawn back to my college days in the mid-1960s. I was doing very well academically. I had this very hot girlfriend. 
We eventually married, lucky me. I was a leader in student government. I was a relatively successful athlete. Let me focus on the athletic statement for a moment as an illustration. I ran every day, every day, five miles before my actual workout began, but not just five miles of running. It was called in and outs, where on a track, you sprint the straightaways and walk the curves for 20 laps or run the curves and walk the straightaways. It is a challenging exercise. It was not required. But if I was going to be successful in the track meets, I needed to build stamina and speed, stride, and confidence. Doing in and outs for a day accomplished little. Doing them for a week, a little more. For a month, more yet. But what was truly needed was day after day after day for years. The growth came incrementally. And it paid off when it came to the meets held every spring. You know, there's incremental growth for Christians. There are disciplines or practices that when done on a regular basis bring growth incrementally to our lives. Some examples. Weekly church attendance for worship and Christian formation. The daily devotional reading of the scripture plus meditation and prayer. Weekly involvement in small group for Bible study and prayer. Volunteering in a ministry. Ushering or greeting on Sundays. Helping in the kitchen for after worship refreshments. Singing in the choir. Being involved in the worship team or the tech team. Helping out in the youth ministry or the children's ministry. Lawn cutting team. Singing in the corral. And on we could go. The opportunities are numerous. The goal of these various disciplines is not to wear one out. Though work is involved but it is to get one in shape, in shape with the knowledge of the scriptures, in shape with the ability to serve, and a shape of building intimacy with God and his church, that is, the people who believe. Jeff Mannion writes, Daily obedience establishes patterns in the heart that increase the, res- the possibility of our responding in trust and cooperating with God's transformational work when we are faced with a season of severe trial. That quote introduces the second type of growth wants in us, transformational growth. God is not merely interested in making us better. He's interested in making us new. God is not doing a remodel of us. He is doing an extreme makeover. The Bible uses the phrase, a new creation. Our author puts it this way. It is in saying yes to God again and again, when little seems at stake, that we prepare our hearts to say yes to God when everything is at stake. In this way, steady incremental growth prepares the heart for seasons of extreme disruption, not just to weather these seasons, but in the midst of them to be transformed. We have seen this transformational growth in many places during these days of COVID-19. Nurses and doctors choosing to move to New York to help where it has been needed most, that is transformative behavior. 
drug companies actually working together to find treatment and vaccine. That is transformative behavior. EMTs volunteering more hours than their paid workload to aid the most sick. That is transformative behavior. Now, there are some in our day who are saying that God is testing, even judging our world with this pandemic. I'm not convinced of that at all. But this I know, whether intentional or not, this pandemic tests whether or not we call on God for help. This pandemic tests whether or not we give ourselves to people in need as God would see fit for us to do. This pandemic, like many other life-challenging events, tests us like the desert tested the Israelites to see whether or not we truly trust in God. Pull out any coin or any dollar, and you will see the words, In God we trust. That it can be found there is wonderful, even heartwarming. But the real issue is whether or not in God we trust is a reality in our lives. I conclude this sermon and this series by looking again at the scripture and then a final quote from Jeff Mannion. James, the half-brother of Jesus who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, you can read about it in Acts 15, writes the first letter in the New Testament. Listen as Pastor Diane reads the opening lines of his letter. And in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you shall ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This is the end of the reading. Thank you, Diane. About this text, our author writes, quote, When James speaks of becoming mature and complete, he is referring to spiritual wholeness that can only come through trusting God in a season of significant trial. He is saying, let the trial and struggle transform you. The work of the land between is transformation, that we may become mature and complete. End of quote. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to be quick to see not that troubles are a judgment, but an opportunity for us to run to you and trust that you see us that you hear our cry and you provide in your way and in your time what is best. Father, there are some in our midst who are distressed over this pandemic, and rightly so. There are others who are overwhelmed with a life challenge not related to this pandemic, but that is deeply troublesome. May we be your people of help and hope for each other, May we together help one another to trust you, to follow you, to be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus, who gave himself for us and for all people. Help us to grow more like him in all ways. 
so that we can become mature and complete. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.